You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. The title of our message tonight is Amazing Faith. I know we always sing about amazing grace, but there is a moment in the Word of God where, and we were running through it today in our daily reading as well, where Jesus was amazed at someone's faith, and although I have spoken on this passage many times, I wanted to revisit it tonight because the Lord was showing me some things concerning this encounter that he had with the centurion. Really, Hebrews 11:6 says very clearly, without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. How many of you believe he exists? It seems rather evident from what I feel in the room right now that God in existence is here with us, the, the real tangible presence of the Lord. And, and yes, we have faith to believe that. We gather together and believe that He exists. And we take it a step further according to the verse that says, and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. And that's what we do. We come together and we are, we are in search of, in search of, the deepest realms of God, the, the deepest realities of God. And our hunger, our thirst, our longing for His reality, He rewards. He rewards the heart that turns to Him and insists that He be present. Do you understand? See, people give up too soon. People give up too early. People back off before they've pushed through. But there, there is a place that remains, a rest that remains for those of us who are not stiff-necked and hard-hearted but are broken inside, broken enough that we become the sacrifice that He requires, a broken heart, a broken and a contrite spirit and heart that we come because we're so desperate, so desperate for the reality of Him. And we know that we're not going to please Him without faith. We believe that He exists, but beyond that, we believe that He will reward us if we diligently seek Him. For me, just His presence is enough reward. You can keep the stuff, you can keep the money, you can keep prosperity, you can keep even the realms of happiness that the world enjoys. You can keep all those things. His presence to me is the most important thing. His presence has, has, it's the only thing left in my existence that can truly satiate my human being. That His presence, His presence, because I have tasted of the good Word of God and the powers of the world to come, because we have tasted that. We are now enlightened and there is no other place for us. We are like heroin addicts. We're like drug addicts. That we have already partaken in the most addictive drug ever exposed to man. The blessed presence of the Spirit of God. And because of that, we, we will not accept anything in its place. No facsimile of the presence. No counterfeit will interest us. It's obviously not reality because once we know Him in spirit, once we know Him, there's nothing else that can satisfy us. So we come with that anticipation. We come with that hunger. We come with that thirst for His presence. Because He rewards those that earnestly seek Him. And we earnestly, with burning hearts, seek Him. And as a result, He comes and blesses us. We see examples of this through the Word of God. And I'm always perplexed at the fact that some people connect to Him and some people do not connect to Him. I know that when I witnessed people connecting to Him, I decided that that was for me. I've seen false and I've seen real. When I saw the real, I knew that it was true and I knew that I needed that kind of encounter with God. I saw false. I saw religion. It always caused me to feel sick inside. The reality of His presence, from the first time I felt it, as a young man, 17 years of age, in a tent meeting, 
And hearing an evangelist talk about a double dose of the Holy Ghost and the power that was there that night, it ruined me. At that moment, it was too late for me. In 1984, it was too late for me. Because I crossed the line from the obscure theoretical existence of God into the tangible reality and proof positive of Him in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I felt it over my whole body. And I knew that there was nothing else for me. Not only was that wonderful, but it, it was something I needed more and more of. And my addiction began. And I remember even... <laughs> I remember leaving that meeting as a 17-year-old boy. I remember being taken home. They had to carry me to the car. They brought me home. I lay in my bed and heard God's voice. He spoke to me. And I remember sometime after that event in my life, that, that encounter, that I did not feel it quite as strongly as I did in that tent. And I knew that if that were true and I were not experiencing that same intensity or that same level of his powers that, that I felt, then there, it was not his fault, but it was my fault. You understand? I knew then, I got the revelation that if I'm not experiencing what I have experienced, that any time in my past, if I'm not experiencing it right now, that is not his fault. Because once he opens that door, it does not close. Once he provides that for you, it does not stop. Because the gifts, the callings of God are without repentance. Anyone that has had an encounter with Almighty God can go back to that moment and have every bit of it and more. I tell the story of that meeting and I'm there again. I tell the stories of the encounters I've had with His presence and I'm there again. I experience it freshly because I understand that it is up to me, it is up to me to earnestly seek Him. And if He's not being found and there's no reward of His presence, then the problem does not lie with Him. The problem lies with me and my faith. But I exercise my faith to believe and insist on the manifestation of His presence. Because without that faith, it's impossible to please him. Some people that Jesus dealt with while he was on earth had lasting impressions on him. Jesus was a human as much as he was God. He liked some more than others. It's just a fact. He was closer to some than others. And we have often studied about the fact that those who were closer to him were the ones that moved closer to him. And it wasn't so much that he had sovereignly chosen them because of some certain uh, eternal birthright of their, of their separation into a category of elitism of those that can have the fullness of God, but it was because they were hungry. The favorites of God are the ones that favor God above all things. <laughs> And when Jesus met people that understood him, when Jesus met people that understood who he was, what he was, and what he had to offer, and placed a demand on it, he was impressed. And that's what this story is about. Because Jesus was rarely impressed while on earth. The only thing that ever surprised him was faith. On two occasions, in fact, that word we've studied many times that means to be amazed, perplexed even, only two times, and one was with the people in his hometown that could not receive a miracle from him because of their lack of faith. You can say that it, it surprised Jesus. Jesus was not expecting that he would not be able to pray and heal people, and he... he expected miracles. He knew without a shadow of a doubt within himself that miracles could happen, but they did not happen in his hometown because of one simple factor, the lack of faith. They just didn't believe. And it shocked him. And that's a sad case. 
But here we see the other instance that we're studying tonight is the centurion, and the centurion amazed him because of his understanding of faith. Jesus responds to faith more than any other thing we have. Your faith is so powerful. Not just faith to get something out of him, you understand. To believe in his existence and fellowship. It takes faith for fellowship with him. Huh. Isn't that right, Matthew? It takes faith for fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I've seen people that lack the faith and would be in a place where other people are experiencing the fullness of that fellowship of the Holy Spirit that's upon them. But they just can't believe. I often picture the Holy Spirit as if he were a person standing in front of a person in a service that is receiving from him. And he looks so happy as he's pouring his love, he's nurturing out on you. And then someone simply does not believe it. And he looks perplexed looking at those people who could not, cannot believe in the reality of his presence. And he's confused about why don't they get it? Because it is not his fault if we do not encounter him. It is not his fault. It's up to us. Since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God allows violent behavior. And the violent take it by force. Quote again, Smith Wigglesworth. When the spirit doesn't move, move the spirit. Huh. Move the spirit. Stir up the gift that is in you by the laying on of hands. If you've ever had hands laid on you and you receive the fire of God, it's yours to stir up into the same flames that you've experienced. It's all by faith. It's all by what we believe. It's all by faith. For this reason, I never grow tired of talking about the importance of faith. If I preached every single message on faith, it would not be enough for us. We need as much to try to understand, grasp, walk in, and, and realize faith for our lives. So powerful is faith. Can move mountains. So powerful is faith. It can raise the dead. So powerful is faith. By your faith, he will work. Be it according to your faith. God himself cannot make any difference in you that you do not empower him to by your faith. You understand? And that's why he was shocked in his hometown. All by faith. Oh, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe without a shadow of a doubt that my God exists and is real. And I know that if I earnestly seek Him, I, I will receive the reward that He gives. The reward of His glory. The reward of His presence. The reward of His joy. The reward of His revelations concerning the truths and the secrets of His kingdom. In this message, we're looking at this story. We're going to see seven facts about the amazing faith of the centurion. Amazing faith. Called amazing faith because Jesus was amazed. Later we will get to that in one of the last points in the message. We will discover, we will see that amazing faith is the only thing that amazes Jesus. And Jesus will not be amazed by anything but... <laughs> Just like we will not accept a facsimile of his presence, he will not accept a facsimile of faith. He's not going to accept some token counterfeit thing that people say, if I do a ritual, if I, if I do a certain practice, if I pray a certain way, or sit a certain way, or turn a certain way according to what they taught me, that will make it. That is not faith, that's physical. Faith is what you believe. Faith is believing. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. What are you hoping for from Him? The evidence of things unseen. He's invisible. He's an invisible God. But Jesus said, go in your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who is invisible will reward you openly. 
The same reward we see. All based upon our ability to walk by faith, not by sight. To see God. To see the Spirit is real. Seven facts about the amazing faith of the centurion. Number one, amazing faith seeks solutions to problems. And this is really what the whole deal is with our relationship with God. And in this passage, it begins in verse 1, Luke chapter 7. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, and there a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. So that's a problem. Somebody being sick is a problem. The, the severity of the problem increases when they are at death's door. He was sick and about to die. I have met people sick and about to die. I've seen people sick and about to die in church services. I have been invited to pray for people sick and about to die. The young man on the mat on the floor in Nias. Uh, people brought into altar calls, barely able to walk, carried in, sick and about to die. So this is a need. Problems are great when you feel that you have no control and you're about to lose everything. And faith, amazing faith, because really these seven things are characteristics of amazing faith. Amazing faith seeks solutions to problems. Your belief itself inside of you, the internal component of faith, will constantly be a mechanism inside of you, given to you by the Father. Every man a measure of faith is given. It will always seek solutions to the problems. It's, it's like a barometer of solutions. It's a compass of, of, of remedies. It's always pointing toward the solution in your dilemma, in your problem. And so we find Jesus here moving about the country, ministering to the needs of the people, and there were a lot of people with a lot of problems in their lives, just like today. There are a lot of people with a lot of problems. We aren't many people here tonight, but I'm sure we have our, each of us have our own little share of problems, right? Only your heart knows its own sorrow and anguish, the Bible says. Issues that you cannot talk about. Issues that you cannot share. Problems that you need solutions to. And you can't even share it with those closest to you. But your faith, amazing faith, is, is knowing and saying inside of you, there is a way out. There is a solution to all things. And really, this need is the base of our relationship with Jesus. Why do we relate to Jesus? Because we need a Savior. Because we cannot save ourselves. We cannot heal ourselves. We cannot deliver ourselves. We need a Savior, healer, deliverer. We need Jesus. And that's the base of our relationship. We have needs, and Jesus wants to help us. And faith, deep calling to deep, His Spirit bearing witness with our spirit, the very spirit of faith inside of us is seeking that solution. Faith believes that God can do anything even when you do not. You might doubt, your faith never doubts. Whether you listen to it or not, I don't know. Because there is a contentious environment inside of you. There's a war going on. We fight that belief in our natural because our internal, uh, eternal Mechanism accepts the limitless power of God, but then comes our natural earthly mind as an enemy of that, and it struggles with that belief. But in a spiritual realm, if you're in the presence of God, you're praying, you're seeking the Lord, you get close to the Lord, your first spiritual instinct is, is results, is healing, is deliverance. And you envision it, you see pictures of the remedy, and you know it, but then immediately your mind comes in arguing with you and telling you why it cannot be. It's not easy. I'm sure this centurion uh, had this same issue. This servant of the centurion, a valued man, a, a highly valued servant. Not all servants were like possessions. Some were closer than their own family. And that's probably what the case was here. Some grew so close within that they even decided to, even when given their freedom, go and become a doulos slave and give themselves back to the master because they bonded so intensely with them that their relationship superseded the importance and depth of even family relationships. Because they fell in love and they formed bonds by having them in the home. And I imagine this servant to be a lot like that. Something important, something that you love, something that you care about in your life that's falling apart, that's dying, that's suffering. 
An amazing faith seeks a solution to that problem. But our mind tells us it's not going to happen. We just need to walk out the path of faith. And this centurion servant is sick and about to die, just like a lot of us have problems. Let's go to number two. Amazing faith comes by hearing. In verse three, the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. Now you have to understand, the centurion heard stories about Jesus and the things that he had done. Everybody had by this time heard something. This is many chapters into Luke. Already his ministry was public. Already he was raising dead and opening deaf ears. And of course, word of that gets out. They all know about this revival taking place in the land under the name of one called Jesus, and they're all questioning, uh, could this be the Messiah? And they're not sure. Maybe it's a prophet. They're wondering, but one thing they do know is that miracles are taking place and God's power is being released because they hear about it. They hear the reports, even if they never see it. And really, these stories to them, imagine if you hadn't seen anything, that would be fantastic, hard to believe. The kind of things that he was doing could only be truly accepted and believed if you had seen it with your own eyes. From a natural perspective. When somebody tells you something too good to be true, you don't believe it. You doubt it. But if you see it, you say something to the effect of, if I had not seen it with my own eyes, I would have never believed it. How many of you said something like that? Can't believe you see it. You're, wow, it's true. Even when people tell you sometimes things that seem far-fetched, you're like, yeah, well, I'll have to see about that. Often that's how it is with the presence of God. Often that's how it is with the Spirit of the Lord. But faith comes by hearing. And that's how most people received, even in the day of Jesus. It started with this amazing faith came to them by hearing about it. They were in a crowd and witnessed the power of healing. Now, most of the people that were near Jesus, it was one thing to see a miracle. Because when you see something, you become what you behold. If you're standing in front of someone and you see some astounding miracle happen, something incredible, someone who was not able to walk, suddenly able to walk, that has an impact on you that causes your faithometer to peg all the way to 10. You know without a doubt, I saw it with my own eyes. That happened to me when I was only 17 years of age with my grandmother. I watched her get healed of arthritis. I saw it in front of my eye. I know because I helped her into that room. And when the, the evangelist screamed at her to run, lady, run, and she ran, I knew without a doubt that was not possible. I remember putting my hand on my head. Have you ever had a hand on your head moment? I felt like my head was going to blow up because it could not accept what I was seeing. But I was convinced that day. And faith is so powerful, just the very idea. When I speak in witness, I've seen many miracles and healings happen through my ministry when sharing that testimony alone. Explaining, I saw as a young man, my grandmother get healed. When I sat people in the room, their faith will also expand and grow. Why? Because... The centurion heard of Jesus. And it was enough to know just in hearing about him that he could send someone to get him because if he could contact him and ask him for this favor, for the healing of his servant, that it, would, it was certainly possible. He was convinced. Not because he'd seen Jesus. Not because he'd even seen miracles. We don't know what he had witnessed. It, it would have said because he had seen Jesus. But it doesn't say he heard of Jesus. And this is a common pattern throughout the Word of God. Sure, people receive from actually seeing, but for us today here, most of us have not personally witnessed a real miracle. If we had, it, it would be much easier to believe. And as I said, I did, so it's easy. That's My ministry is built on the fact that I saw what I saw. And subsequent miracles after that. Now it's way too late for me. I've been in third world countries for, for all these years watching miracle after miracle. I've seen so many miracles. If you came and tell me, you know, miracles aren't real, I would laugh in your face. That's as stupid to me as saying the sun doesn't rise. Yeah, wait a few hours. I'll show it to you. That's how real it is to me. The sun will rise. The sun is the sun. It's bright and shiny and hot. And it's coming up. I know it. You could say, well, I don't believe that. 
That's what it sounds like when someone tells me they don't believe in miracles. Why? Because I've seen it. If you've seen the sunrise, you know the sun is real. You've seen it a lot. The more you see the sun rising, the more you believe in it. Nobody could come to you and convince you that you know the sun is not actually real. You're just deceived to think that. You've been conditioned over the years to believe the sun is real. That's so stupid. That's why if we continually seek the presence of the more we experience the glory of God and the presence of God, the more difficult it is for Lucifer and his his team members, demons, to come and deceive us. They cannot because we're convinced by the truth. We know the experiences of God. But there were a lot of people who had not seen yet. They'd only heard the Centurion believe without seeing. And really, this caliber of faith is what categorizes it as amazing. And the Bible speaks about that. John 20, 29, Jesus told them, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So Jesus put these people into another category. It's one thing if Jesus is like, You see me, I'm here. But there's people coming, they're not even going to see me, and they're, they're going to believe as much, if not more, than you believe, those are the ones that have amazing faith. So we see many people hearing and believing before seeing the Word. Matthew 20, 30 says, Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. John 4, 47, When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Similar circumstance to that of the centurion with his servant that's died. Mark 5.27 When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because, <laughs> because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. If I just touch his clothes, it's a done deal. It's a fact. Had she seen someone else touch his clothes and get healed? No. She heard about Jesus. She heard about his power. And her faith, her, her amazing faith, placed a demand on the power that was inside him that we know was not even belonging to her. It was really for Jairus' daughter. But she pickpocketed Jesus of his power in the crowd that day and took it from him. And as a result, was healed. You see, these are all examples of amazing faith coming by hearing. When she heard about Jesus. See, you can hear about Jesus in, in hearing comes, you know, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God can be testimony of His greatness. You hear a story, suddenly those seeds are in you, they become the begin to contaminate you with the possibilities of anything. And conjecture then comes out of your faith, starts painting a picture and writing a play that you can act out. And this is exactly what her mind did. She created, and one time I taught it as the power of creative thought, she created a scenario. If I do A, B, C, one, two, three, then I will be blessed and that's what will be. And she put that plan in motion and it went just ex exactly as she had strategized. It took place and Jesus didn't even authorize the play. Because <laughs> that's how powerful, amazing faith is. Ha! <laughs> You know, when I was told about the Holy Spirit and His power when I was only 17, my first encounters with God, I didn't feel anything. Somebody told me, oh, you got born again, that's great. Have you received the Holy Spirit yet? And I literally, just like those in the book of Acts, I never even, I didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. And they said, you can receive the Holy Spirit. And I was like, well, what is that? I was saved, I was born again. And, and I had already had an amazing encounter with him when he came and washed me in his blood. And I knew I was born again. I knew I was saved. But I didn't know the Holy Spirit. So they picked me up in a car and told me that the Holy Spirit could have the Holy Spirit. And so immediately, not just upon hearing about God's power, I believed that the Holy Spirit was real. And I got excited in the inside of me. I got excited and thought, well, then give it to me. If I can have the Holy Spirit, give it to me. And it's amazing because the people with, that I was with, they they did not, they didn't even have the faith to believe, and they, they didn't have enough faith to pray for me in that moment to be baptized in the Spirit. They got scared. They were scared by my faith as a new believer. 
Have you received the Holy Spirit? You know, what? The Holy, yeah, it's God's power that comes. They explained it to me kind of in general. And I said, well, then give it here. And when I said it, the power of God filled the car. And they were afraid. They felt incapable of praying for me to receive the Holy Spirit because they too were young believers. But the faith inside of me activated it. I could have right there received that Holy Spirit. I was ready. But they themselves said, you can't. They bound it. You have to wait until a meeting. So now brewing inside of me is this... this passion of the Holy Spirit. I need to know the Holy Spirit. He's real. His power comes. You mean all I've experienced so far is not the fullness of it? There's more? I want more. It's like sitting down at a buffet with a plate full of bihoon and somebody sits across from you with a plate full of prawns and shrimp and you think, oh, there's shrimp on the buffet? I dump my bihoon back on the buffet when nobody's looking and fill it up with shrimp. So I asked them, they said no. They bound it. Now, of course, by the time I got to a church service where God's power was, I, I was like, I was a lit fuse. Waiting. Where's that Holy Spirit? Where's the Holy Spirit? And all it took is for the evangelist that was there that night to say, if you're here tonight and you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, lift your hands up to God. And I, I was out there immediately. I put both hands up in the air like I was signaling a goal at a football game. <laughs> He said, lift your hands. I lift my hands. When I did, ha! Ha, 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 I remember, it's like I punched a hole in something that was full of hot water. And when I stuck my hands up, I felt heat slide down over my hands, over my arms, over my body, all over me. And I felt warm all over. And I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Spirit just standing because I believed because I'd heard about the Holy Spirit they told me about it I believed later the same people I was with them later the same people we left the meeting and they looked at me and they said you got it didn't you and I said yeah they could see it on me he's so beautiful he's so beautiful I fell in love that night. That was the, that was right before Christmas, about a week before Christmas. And I went home and I laid under a Christmas tree and I prayed in tongues all night, staring up through the Christmas tree. Prayed all night in the presence of God. Now, of course, when you have this, you feel this. Number three, amazing faith is contagious. Verse 4 goes on. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with Him. The, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Now this is interesting because these are people asking Jesus on the behalf of the centurion. They were elders, as it said earlier, of the Jews that he, was, that he had befriended. Understand, this is not a Jew. This centurion is not a Jew. He's not Jewish. He's a Roman which means he's tied to some type of pagan practices in his past. And at this moment, he, is, he just believes he may be a proselyte, but he's a good guy. We know that much because he, he built uh, a synagogue for them. Because a centurion was a very wealthy and powerful individual. And, and they made a lot of money. They made a lot of money from different realms, different places. They were, gov they were governors of over 100 soldiers that were over many other people. And as a commander, they were well paid. And so he had enough money to actually bless the people in his community that were Jews with their own synagogue. He built the church for them. And then they thought because of that, that he certainly deserves. And Jesus didn't argue with this, by the way, as we'll see in a moment. But I see here that Based upon the faith of the centurion, the people around him believed enough that Jesus could do the miracle that they spoke on his behalf in intercession for him with Jesus. They went and believed, in fact, were convincing, and said, you need to do this. Why? Because when the centurion, as a commander, spoke in commander authority, you know, you, you go, you tell him, come, 
and in what he does, uh, you, you get his attention and tell him, I need my servant healed, and it'll be done. I know it. And they were like, oh. As far as they knew, they, he may have had some type of um, command or scroll or something written from, from Rome itself declaring that this man, Jesus, must do this. They didn't know. They just, oh, yes, sir. And they went off to tell him. They were convinced. Why? Because his faith was already real. It was so real that it was contagious. And I find if you get around people that believe like the centurion believe, you too believe. It's contagious. You get around people that doubt, that's contagious too. Why is it everybody in the hometown of Jesus couldn't get healed and he was amazed? They couldn't get touched. He just prayed for a few sick folk, it says. doesn't even say they were healed. He just prayed for them. But he was disappointed. Why? Because the contagion of doubt and disbelief was there. And it happens. But amazing faith is contagious. Once faith is activated and people believe, they can convince others to believe the same things. And this can happen before the substantiation of what is believed. That's, that's what happened with the Azusa Street Revival. Seymour, the one-eyed black man, believed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit when nobody had the baptism of the Holy Spirit and was so convinced, he convinced other people and they got the baptism of the Holy Spirit before he did. Built on his faith, they believed and were baptized in the Holy Spirit before he had even been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Which just made him mad. He's like, oh no, you don't. And he prayed all night until he got it. And one thing led to another. People began to see it. And now, because it crossed the line from just mere faith, believing in things, hope for evidence of things unseen, now you could see people filled with the Holy Spirit. You could hear people praying in tongues a lot easier now. People are often entering into a movement or an outflow or pouring out of His Spirit that was started by somebody else's faith. It's like a bandwagon. Once it's there, you can get into the contagion. That's how revivals work. I know, I've started quite a few of them. Not always easy. One church, I, had to, I spent a year trying to convince them. A whole year. Going every Tuesday, Ulasnagar in India, every Tuesday I would drive several hours to get to, and tell them about God's power. Tell, and they would not listen. They did not believe. They were happy people. But there was really no visitation. But after a while, I convinced them Finally, my faith became contagious enough that people pressed in and we had a visitation of God. You need to be a carrier. Amazing faith will make you contagious. You understand? You will be viral. When people get around you, they'll get as sick as you are. You just need to cough on them a little. <coughs> just like that. Very good, man. Jesus coughed on him and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. <coughs> it's possible. It just says breathe, but coughing is breathing. It's just a little louder. Number four. Amazing faith works through humility. This is a very important fact. It says in verse 6, So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. For I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. You understand the centurion at this point is not actually speaking to Jesus at all. We could assume maybe that he saw him from a distance. Maybe he saw him out um, through the window and saw that they were bringing him and realized seeing the, the majestic one coming that I'm not I'm not fit to meet this man. Humility. Which is interesting because the centurion was a powerful man with a lot of clout and authority and, and really to basically do whatever he wanted to do. He had authority to command any Jew to do whatever he wanted. They, they were occupying forces of Rome. He could tell anybody by law they had to do whatever a soldier told them carrying their weapons, carrying their gear for one statute mile. That's why Jesus said, uh, don't just carry one mile, carry two miles, because they were obligated to carry one mile, but at the end of one mile, they threw that equipment down with attitude, because that was part of the occupation. And no matter how much more authority does a centurion have, centurion could arbitrarily just try someone summarily on the spot and assassinate them. 
If he so deemed it, and it wouldn't even be much question. It may be a little inquiry, but that's how much power a centurion had. You have to understand, this man was not a humble, simple little man, but he's exhibiting humility at the right time in understanding this is, this is amazing faith. To understand no matter how much power he had, how much authority he had, he realized in light of the, the king of kings, he was nothing. And that he, he should not oppress this man or make him come. He sent and requested that he come, and they pleaded with him because he built the synagogue. But now we see his humility coming out. And the law was on his side. He had jurisdiction over the people doing whatever he wanted. See, many would believe that faith is authority and power and emotional strength, but it's not. Because I see people that, that claim there's faith and they yell and make a big noise. Just recently I did a meeting, and I've done several meetings like this, but I did a meeting in Mexico and I was with another brother who I've known for a while and he, by his, what we've learned, he even wrote in a letter about this, what we've learned early on from certain preachers and teachers that you speak with authority and you command, in the name of Jesus, you know, real preachy, and you yell, and that's how it's done. Well, we were together in a meeting, and um, and he was really, I was praying for people, God was touching people, but I was just doing it the way I was. Sometimes I raised my voice, but not in that meeting, I didn't need to, but he was yelling. Later on, I joked with him, and I said, man, you were loud. <laughs> You were loud, loud, but people received. And he said, yeah. Well, he really, he kind of bothered him later and he started thinking about it. And then later in a meeting where he was watching me minister, I preached this real simple, quiet message and I didn't even move. I do, you sometimes you see me do it. I just leaned on the pulpit. I got on the pulpit and I got quiet and I watched the show. <laughs> and the master walked in. And immediately, the, the, the woman on the front row, immediately, when she saw me just sitting and looking, she started looking around and trembling in tears. And the Holy Spirit came in just like a flood and touched the people. And everyone was ministered to. And it blew him away, my friend. He blew him away. Like, wow. This is we're conditioned to believe that it's by strength and you. No, it's not. Humility is the greater good. You ever hear Catherine Kuhlman's teachings? So humble. Yes, speak with authority and power in declaration of who he is and his grandeur and his greatness, but when she speaks she, from herself, she's like a little child. She's saying, I'm just a girl. I'm just a, I'm just a little girl. I've never had anything. And when she starts to confess it, I've seen many messages where she'll just start weeping. And as soon as she confesses that humility and starts to weep, the power of God fills the place and people start getting healed. Humility. Very important. And this man is showing, this is amazing faith. He's showing this humility. Amazing faith is birthed and channeled through humility. It is an understanding of your limitations and weaknesses while simultaneously understanding his limitless strength. You can't, he can do anything. And even the puppies eat the crumbs that fall. Humility. Humility. A lot of preachers, they're just so bold, they're so yipey, yelly, screamy. You know, I, I, I get that they do, and it may excite people sometimes, but you don't have to be that way. You can be when you get excited, it's okay. Get emotional. Number five, we're going to finish this message pretty quickly. Amazing faith understands the authority of God. Verse eight, for I myself, you know, he gives further reasoning. After his humility, for I myself am a man under authority. Now he's speaking with humility. I'm not worthy to have you come out of my house. But I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. He's telling him, look, I want you to know, I'm not worthy to have you come, but anything I say will be done. But I'm not using that and exercising that authority over you. Because your authority is far beyond my authority. And this entertained Jesus. Because amazing faith understands the authority of God. And his faith of the centurion caused him to clearly see who Jesus was. He knew his own position and power paralleled with the spiritual and eternal position and power of the Christ. 
That either just like I have this power in these, these earthly temporal realms, that guy has more power in the spiritual realms. There's nothing he can't do. I get it. And you can exercise and strengthen your understanding of the authority of God by speaking it to yourself in prayer and the praise of God. Do it all the time when we're having praise and worship. I will recite and say about how great is His limitless power and our weakness. The more you acknowledge your weakness, the more you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, the more He will exalt you. That's just understanding His limitless authority. Number six, amazing faith is the only thing that amazes you. You want Jesus to be amazed with you, then you need amazing faith. When Jesus heard this, heard what? That big discourse that he just made. I'm not worthy. And I am also a man in authority. But your authority supersedes that. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And this is that embarrassing moment when Jesus made this statement to the effect that the Gentiles were better at faith than the Israelites. And in fact, had faith more amazing than that of his own trained disciples around him, because that's the ones he's talking to. Embarrassing, but eye-opening, and should make us realize that maybe we religious people are missing the point of faith. If they were taught for years already about these principles, and Jesus is telling them the words about faith, they had certain understandings and ideas Maybe because they had never known true authority, whereas this man had already been to the highest levels of authority. It wasn't something unknown to him. He knew what authority was, and he knew no matter what he had, no matter how powerful he was, he could do nothing for his beloved servant that was dying. And he, he saw his weakness. He could command all he wants, but he couldn't command a dying servant to come back to life and heal. Only one could do that the one with the authority and the power to do so, the Christ himself, the spirit of the living God through him. You know, in the passage in Matthew, because the corresponding story with Luke, in Matthew 8, 11, it says, I say to you, this is the same story of the centurion, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I don't know about you, but this scares me. It says the subjects of the kingdom. Wow. It'd be one thing if it says in the non-believers or the people who don't understand or don't accept it. It says the subjects, people who are subject to the eternal kingdom can and possibly, according to what we see here, could possibly miss the point enough to jeopardize their eternal status. It scares the stew out of me. If our faith doesn't become amazing like that of the centurion, it frightens me to think of what could happen. This passage says that the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown out. So this truly makes me want to concentrate on my faith and what I believe about Jesus. I want to take it to the gym and do some exercises with it. How do you do that? By actually speaking. If faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, then you need to start saying the Word of God so people can hear it, and then your own ears can hear it, so that you work out your faith by recitation, by declaration. Because it suggests here that maybe some of the people that were invited to the kingdom of God and even had become subject to it could begin to live in disbelief and lack of faith sufficient enough to keep them from being a part of the kingdom. I'm not threatening you tonight. I'm just warning you. I guess it's the same thing. We must have amazing faith. And we have to cultivate it and learn from this passage about its importance. Amen? Amen. Number seven. We finish with this. Amazing faith works miracles. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Now picture what's going on here. The centurion never left the house. The servant never left the house. But because the realms of God's authority are in a spiritual dimension and they know no limitations of space and time, instantly the healing took place based upon an understanding alone of amazing faith. If you have faith, if you understand, anything is possible. 
What was the cause of the healing of the valued servant of the centurion? What, what actually healed him? You'd say, well, the power of Jesus. Was it Jesus laying his hands on him? No. Jesus was regularly laying hands on people, but this is not an instance where he laid hands on them. There were people brought to him, it says constantly, brought to him, and they were laid out in the streets, and he laid hands on them, and he was there with them. Peter did the same thing. Even his shadow was able to bring healing to people. And even they took aprons and cloths from the bodies of the apostles and sent and laid it on the sick. They were healed. All this by contact. This is way beyond that. Why? Because one centurion believed so intently and so severely in the absolute supremacy of God's power that it did not require any of the natural things like laying on of hands. It just happened. It just happened. It's actually very uneventful. It just happened. One minute he's dying and the next minute he's just fine. Because somebody understood who Jesus is. Oh God. Oh my Father. I'm begging you tonight. Let me understand Jesus. Because I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss what is available to us. I don't want someone to take my place in your kingdom because I exercise doubt and disbelief. I want to be there with Abraham and Isaac at the feast. I want to sit down with them as a subject that is apart because I believe and understand entirely the supremacy of you, the authority of you, because I know if I can grasp, even for a minute, this kind of amazing faith and believe it as the centurion did, I don't need hands laid on me. I don't need anything. It just will be. Whatever I need will just be. Mountains will jump into the sky and land in the ocean. Not by me using a dynamite, but by simple fact that I believe. Help me. Help us all. Amazing faith works miracles. Help us have it. Each of us need it, Lord. Each of us, at one time or another, we're going to require a miracle in this life. And we better get ready. When the time comes, Lord, let our faith be amazing like this. Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.